You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I'm covering at least eight ways that obesity can shoot you in the foot when it comes to dealing with any type of infection, particularly COVID. I have talked about this over the past two years, and I have tried to sound the alarm and get the message out, and it's been met with a terrible amount of resistance and vitriol. This is not a fat shaming episode. This is an episode to share with you objective data that we have had over time. And particularly now we have doubled down on about how the obese state is potentially driving this pandemic forward and will continue to do so if we don't address this crucial piece of information. All right, I'm back. Happy December 2021. Happy holidays, everybody. I'm going to do the episode I've been holding off on and I'm going to try to keep it succinct. This is the episode about obesity and how it impacts us as a society around COVID and how the individual will respond to viral infections in general due to obesity. There is a lot of information to unpack, and I'm going to try to keep it as um, just user-friendly as possible. So this is for your average human and healthcare provider. This is, I'm not trying to win any immunology awards, (laughs) if you will. When this whole pandemic hit, I made a video that went viral on Instagram. And I said in it that this virus hasn't seen North America yet. And what I meant was, as you can imagine, we are a very, very sick society here in the US. And I know throughout the world as well, it's caught on. In most first world countries, we've got raging levels of diabetes. And in most third world countries now, we're seeing a lot of it. Without hashing out country to country, I can tell you that some of the countries getting hit the hardest during this pandemic have all been countries where diabetes and obesity run rampant. I'm talking about type 2 diabetes. I don't want to get into diabetes too much today, but it goes hand in hand with obesity. Type 2 is a lifestyle illness, and it is very highly prevalent. I would say that most Americans that I've ever run labs on, at least in my microcosm of the world, have had all pretty much, (laughs) I would say, let's say 90%, at least, have some kind of metabolic dysfunction. It's not a difficult thing to get into in the United States with the way that our food supply is and the way that food choices are made. Obesity and diabetes are like BFFs. Uh, The obesity, who knows if it's chicken and egg, right? There's some speculation that the obesity starts and then the diabetes kicks in. Again, type two. There's also speculation that the metabolic resistance state starts, the insulin resistance, the low-grade sarcopenia, which is muscle loss, which I've talked about in the past. That all starts up and then the person begins to gain weight. So I believe it's both. And I think that it's a really vicious cycle to get into once you get into because once you do, it is a chicken and egg, one begets the other. And so we can't really talk about obesity without talking about type two diabetes or some type of metabolic dysfunction. Only 88, I'm sorry, only 12% of Americans are metabolically sound, the other 88 are metabolically unsound. You've heard me say that before, and I've shared the studies, and I'll be sure to share a link with all the studies available to you as well for this episode. You simply have to head to the show notes and click the link, and it will ask you to enter your name and email, and you'll receive an email back shortly with all of the references. And there's 
a couple pages of them at this point. Okay, so when this started, we knew, we knew because of influenza, we, which is a similar type of virus to the coronavirus. It's not the same. And I am clarifying, I am not saying they are the same thing. I don't believe they are. Also, while I'm at it, I might as well make the disclaimer, I am not your doctor. I should also make the disclaimer that I understand that obesity is highly nuanced. This is in no way, shape, or form a judgment on anybody in any physical state. I'm simply giving you objective data on how obesity impacts the immune system and how obesity plays together with this COVID pandemic. So I hope that's very clear. I get accused often of fat shaming simply for talking about studies, pointing out an obvious problem does not make you, it's not that you're pointing your finger at it and saying, ha ha, and making fun of it. But we have to point out the obvious. Most Americans are overweight and or obese. That is now the majority. We're getting real close to those stats with children. Of those groups, the majority have type 2 diabetes. So you can see that we have a very huge metabolic problem in the United States. And I know that Fat gain is nuanced. I know that fat loss is nuanced, but fat is an endocrine organ. So that's the word we're going to use. I'm not going to keep saying the word obesity. People with obesity have excess fat cells that are quite full. And that's what we're going to be talking about today and how that impacts your health and your immune system overall and your ability to withstand and fight off infections. So we knew back from the, you know, late 2000s, we had data on influenza and obesity and the obese state. And it wasn't good. And so since these viruses were similar and not too dissimilar in their structure and architecture, the way that they are spread, uh, the impact they have on the immune system are not too dissimilar. And I wanted to shed some light on that early on in the pandemic. That was met with a lot of venom and vitriol. I was simply saying, hey, guys, we have a problem here. Uh, It doesn't matter how much you lock people up. It doesn't matter how much you try to protect the vulnerable, because unfortunately, the vulnerable are the obese, and they are the majority of this country. And I, of course, took so much slack for that. A lot, a lot of people were very angry at me, including many of my colleagues who are still very angry at me for pointing out the obvious. And yet, I figured that was a modifiable factor that we could address early on. It seemed the most likely culprit to keep this pandemic rolling. It will continue to roll as long as we have and and or we will be met with other situations that are equally as crisis bringing. Um, now, the crisis is debatable at this point. I, I will I will disc, I will say that there's my other disclaimer. Depends on what state you live in as to how hard people are paying, playing pandemic. I just came out of Arizona for a good amount of days and nobody was playing pandemic there. And then we went to Nevada and people were playing pandemic. And now we're back in Oregon where people are literally crazy town playing pandemic. So, you know, pick your poison there. But we will continue to have health crises that are you know we've we've been having them. Let's put it that way. I've been seeing it in orthopedic medicine. I practiced orth orthopedic medicine, naturopathic, uh, pain reduction, chiropractics for over 10 years. I was the mentee of a doctor who did musculoskeletal medicine that I was with him for over 20 years. I have seen firsthand what obesity does to joints, not just wear and tear, not just the weight compression, but the actual metabolic dysfunction. I would say most arthritis is really particularly osteoarthritis is really a metabolic dysfunction issue. It's diabetes of the joint, if you will. And 
I've seen firsthand what obesity does to bodies. This is not new. We've been watching this, especially in the naturopathic and functional medicine community for decades. I, When I first met my mentor, Rick Marinelli, he had a book called Syndrome X, which was all about metabolic syndrome and the warning that came with that. And that was, gosh, in the early 90s. So, you know, this has been going on for a long time and something had to give. And here we are, right? Here we are in the pandemic. So I was trying to share those studies comparing influenza and obesity to the current situation was met again with a lot of venom and vitriol, even from physicians, which I thought was so odd. And then I was called ableist over and over again. That continues to go on. Racist, you name it, just for pointing out the obvious. I am not trying to solve the world's problems. By I understand that certain groups are definitely hit harder due to racism, cultural inequities, financial inequities, like that's all obvious. I am aware of that. Uh, I'm not trying to solve that problem. I'm trying to point out the obvious so that hopefully people start listening. And if you're one of them, if you're one of the hundreds and hundreds of people who did listen, because I have had hundreds and hundreds of messages come to me over the past nearly two years saying, thank you so much. You woke my ass up. You got me moving. I've lost 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, 100 pounds. These are just people online listening to me. That's all they did was listen and implement. And I gave very simple instructions. Keep a handle on your waist circumference. If you want to know more about that, I did a whole podcast episode about it. Keep your, um, I've talked all about metabolic syndrome before in in another podcast. So there's going to be some overlap here. Keep your sleep cycle regulated. Go for a walk every day. Start lifting weights. Start strengthening and building your muscle mass. And eat like you give a damn. Eat real food. I don't care what diet you want to grab. People always want to know exactly how I eat. I don't think it needs to be that complicated. We're human beings. I mean, at the end of the day, we're supposed to be nomadic. We're supposed to eat what's in front of us, right? We just happened in America to be a food trough of food in front of us all the time. So I don't care what you eat. I don't care if you follow a vegan diet, a fruit diet. I really don't care. Like, I don't care if you listen to me or not, to be honest with you. I'm trying to warn human beings to not die. So whether you think that your triple vaccine situation is going to protect you or not, you are in- incorrect. These variants will get around. I don't care if people are saying right now that the Omicron is a, a milder form. I think we're seeing that, but we're seeing that also out of Africa, which is a country that really didn't get hammered too hard with COVID because guess what? They're not obese and they get plenty of sunlight and they had ivermectin on hand. I mean, there's lots of variables. Again, we're comparing apples to oranges, totally different part of the world, totally different, you know, just a lot of different factors going on between two sets of humans. So uh, I think that there's more than meets the eye. And I don't know what uh, this is my concern is that Omicron hasn't seen North America too hard yet. So we'll see. I, I do hope it's milder. That would be awesome. Um, if it's not, it's way more virulent. I'm sorry, it's way more transmissible. So if it's virulence is the same or a, a bit less, then we're still going to have a lot of trouble because we still have a lot of obese people having a lot of trouble. So what does obesity do to your body? And how does that impact you when it comes to infections? Something I was taught, I did regenerative medicine and practice for over a decade. And the main thing that I was taught was don't inject diabetic patients and be very careful about injecting obese patients. Again, both go hand. I have yet to see somebody who's been in a state of obesity for any significant amount of time without being diabetic. Like it just the two always go together. So maybe a young person, a younger obese person, because they're 
metabolism is sort of, you know, they've got homeostasis working in their favor still, but give them a few years when that those fat cells become pro-inflammatory and they too will head into a, a difficult situation with low-grade metabolic syndrome. And that is a condition that goes on and on and on and on for a decade plus before you ever even hit the diabetic mark. So all the damage being done is happening for a decade or more in most people. And then one day they get the magic diabetes diagnosis because their blood sugar hit a certain level and like ding, ding, ding. Oh, now you're type two diabetic. Really? You've been type two diabetic for a long, long time and it's just now showing itself. So that's how it goes. As we age, we're going to get more insulin resistant. As we lose muscle mass from aging, we're going to get more and more and more insulin resistant just naturally. We become more inflamed as we age. It's called inflammation aging. It's just a natural consequence of all of the things I just mentioned. So unless you're actively fighting this through strength training and following a good nutritionally dense diet, you're going to slip into it, period. So we're just seeing people earlier and earlier slip into it. We're seeing kind of that dad bod phenomenon and normalizing that trunkal obesity and saying that it's okay, when in reality, it's not okay. It's literally putting one foot in the grave. Why? There's a lot of reasons. I, th I would say first and foremost, inflammation. We've got a lot of inflammation happening, especially with visceral fat. That's the fat underneath the muscle belly that is going to create a lot of inflammation. It is a cytokine factory, the dreaded cytokine storm everybody's so fearful of with COVID. Where do you think it's coming from? <laughs> it's, that's where cytokines are predominantly produced. Your fat tissue is not just a storage depot. It's actually an active endocrine organ, an active hormonal organ. And so we've got a lot of cytokines coming out of there. We've got um, the fat cells in the stomach, especially in men, in that trunkal obesity pattern, actually secrete an enzyme called aromatase, which turns your testosterone into estrogen. So now we've got further hormonal disruption. Obesity impacts your thyroid function. It impacts your HPA axis, which is your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So hormonal disruption in a, in a nutshell. You don't want hormonal disruption in, in any capacity. And then add to that all the fake xenoestrogens, which are prevalent in today's society. Basically, everything toxic, every chemical you can imagine, for the most part, most of them function as xenoestrogens. And they very uh, somewhat irreversibly bind estrogen receptors in your body and wreak havoc that way too. So we're swimming in estrogen. Women are experiencing that aromatase phenomenon as well, especially as they age. That's why you see a lot of trunkal obesity creep up on the middle-aged woman. I personally fight it every day. I, I get it. It's, it's no joke. It started in my early 40s and it really wants to hang on there. So it's, it's a fight. <laughs> it's an active daily, um, I, I don't want to say I fight with my body because I don't, but it's an active, active daily awareness that I have of, okay, you know, how's my waist circumference doing? Because that tells me everything I need to know. And I've shared studies with you guys and <clears throat> I've, had, I've had people want to argue with me until they turn blue in the face. Your waist circumference is very indicative of your overall metabolic status, period. So we've even got studies, recent studies showing that women with higher belly fat levels and higher waist circumference levels have poorer seroconversion with the vaccine, meaning they're not make, having a, a good antibody response. We'll get to that in a minute. So we've got a lot of inflammation happening in the obese body coming out of the, the fat cells. We've got endocrine disruption or hormonal imbalances. Um, there's other consequences. There's a weird marbling of the muscle that starts to happen when the me metabolism gets busted. And with that comes inflammation in the muscle tissue itself. And so now we start to have more. So the, 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 I think what starts all of this is a low degree of sarcopenia in people or a high degree, meaning muscle 
loss or muscle wasting, or maybe they never had any muscle mass in the first place, those same people will, if they start moving into this metabolic state, which they will eventually, they start to have marbled muscle. That fat, that marbling is inflammatory, just like I described. So now we actually have like intramuscular inflammation, which leads to more sarcopenia, more muscle loss. So now we've got a vicious cycle, especially in the limbs. This is why you see people with big bellies and tiny skinny legs and no butt. They're in a bad place. Their legs and arms are atrophying because of the metabolic dysfunction, and the metabolic dysfunction is being driven by the lack of muscle mass. And so now we've got a really like feed-forward problem that continues to persist over the years. That's why I always say train your butt and train your thighs and your hamstrings. Like train your legs and train your butt. Train the big muscle groups. If that's all you did was squats and deadlifts and you never worked any other part of your body, you still would be way better off metabolically. Um, I did that for years. I had a great physique from it. It really helped my health. It turned my autoimmune disease around. It was just really phenomenal. So that alone, just become a glute goddess and you will do better. Okay, so those are two mechanisms, right? Really three, if you will. So we've got inflammation, we've got endocrine dysfunction, and now we've got advancing sarcopenia, which is a chicken and egg feed forward problem. This episode of the Dr. Tina Show is brought to you by my personal line of products that you can find inside my online store. A daily necessity for anyone who wants optimal brain performance to enjoy improved executive function, clarity, and concentration, my vital brain with magtine is the obvious choice. Magtine is a patented form of magnesium 3 and 8, the only form of magnesium proven in animal studies to cross the blood-brain barrier. Boosting the brain's magnesium levels is vital to healthy cognition, which includes long and short-term memory, learning, stress management, and even sleep. Vital Brain comes in a delicious lemon-lime flavor that easily mixes into water or your morning smoothie, and it does not impact your bowels like other forms of magnesium can. It gets into your brain where it's needed. Less pills, improved absorption. Magtine has been shown in studies to raise brain levels of magnesium, which impacts brain synapses directly. Unlike other brain products on the market that work via brain stimulation, often overstimulation, magteen works via a completely different mechanism. When brain magnesium levels are not optimal, synapse function deteriorates. By delivering magnesium into the synapses, vital brain helps brain cells stay healthy without being overactivated. Consequently, brain cells respond to signals with clarity and robustness. While I can't make specific health claims, tell you how to dose, or make individual health recommendations, I can tell you how these supplements work. As always, check with your health provider before beginning any supplement regimen. Listeners of The Dr. Tina Show can enjoy 10% off Vital Brain by using the code VITALBRAIN10 in all capital letters over inside my store at store.drtina.com. I use this product every morning and it significantly improves my productivity throughout the day. Again, head to store.drtina.com and use code VITALBRAIN10, all capital letters, for 10% off. Let's talk about the immune system for a minute. There are two legs of your immune system. This is going to be like the kindergarten version. There's the the innate immune system, and then there's the adaptive immune system. And so we've got frontline, we've got a conversation between the two, or tele, you know, it's called the telecommunications line. And then we've got the backup, uh, the second phase of your immune system. All are critical. They are critical for seeing and identifying an invader early on. They are critical for fighting off said invader. Uh, 
They are critical for building an acute antibody response in case Invader comes back around or is still lingering. And they are responsible for a lasting memory immune response, which we need years and years and years down the line in case Invader comes knocking later in life and we're like, oh, hey, we see you. Bye-bye. This, these parts of the immune system that, are, that I think are most critical that I know are hit directly by COVID interferon. Interferon is a signaling molecule. <clears throat> when a cell's been infected, basically it sends out a signal. And interferon is the chemical messenger that lets the whole immune system know to wake up and calls in the troops from the backup. So it's kind of that part of that telecommunication line. COVID directly builds, has your body build an autoantibody to interferon very early on in the disease. So not only does the disease sneak through like a ninja, but it shuts down the whole signaling cascade by shutting down the communication molecule. Natural killer cells. Kids have a multitude of natural killer cells. All of these cells I'm talking about become quiet or senescent as we age, and they actually become more senescent and in fact quiescent or dead in the obese body. So, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I'm, I'm just shooting from the hip here. I don't even have any notes in front of me. So we've got uh, natural killer cells, which are plentiful in kids. And natural killer cells are, <sighs> the best way to say it is like, they see the bug early and they're like, bye, and they kill it. It's indiscriminate <laughs> murdering of of invaders, right? It's messy, but they're quick. They're stealth. They inject, they literally inject the invader and blow them up. So the problem is, is, Natural killer cells don't work so great in obese and inflamed and diabetic people, nor do does their interferon response. Both of those are damaged pretty decently depending on the severity of the obesity, the diabetes, and the inflammation. And so right there, you're walking around with like basically the gates to the castle open. Like, come on in. We can't see you. We won't even know you're here. <laughs> we won't even sound the alarm. That's a problem. We've got some other cells in the immune system that are pretty critical. Uh, macrophages are a critical component to gobbling up and surrounding an invader and digesting them. Macrophages are infected also by COVID and by, and by other viruses, and macrophages are severely weakened and or senescent in the obese state. So there's another frontline uh, immune response that we need that isn't working. So basically, the entire frontline immune response is compromised. And then... What happens in the COVID patient, which you've heard me talk about, is they walk into a few days of being infected. Viral titers are increasing. Viral titers matter. It's not being cleared by the immune system because they're not seeing it. They're not signaling. Nothing's really happening. And by the time the immune system figures out there's an invader, there's so much in, in the body. There's such a high viral titer that the body freaks out. The immune system freaks out. This is where the dreaded cytokine storm comes in. But in the obese patient, like I mentioned, we've got a ton of cytokines because they're producing them like a little factory. I mean, literally, it's like adipose tissue, especially inflamed, is a cytokine factory. So they're pouring out cytokines out of their fat cells to try to help their body. And quite literally, the most simple way of saying this, and I've said it before, it's been met with great resilience or resistance and venom is uh, it melts the host. They literally melt themselves from the inside. The virus doesn't kill them. Their own immune response kills them because it's dysregulated. It's not working right. It's not signaling right. It's not responding right. And suddenly the whole body goes berserkers and we start to see organ failure because the the organs are mel being melted by the body's own chemical response via cytokines. It's messy. 
And then the last thing we need, and I'm sure there's more to this I could get into, but I want to just mention these because I don't want to make this, again, this is just a quick and dirty breakdown. There's T cells, right? And so this is the funny part about T cells. We weren't allowed to talk about them early on. Everybody was like, oh, we can't talk about T cells. And early on, we were we had studies coming out saying, I would say within the first six months or so, we had studies came, coming out saying there's, you know, when you've had, this is before the vaccine came out. If you've had a natural infection and a natural immune response and you have natural immunity, we're seeing lasting T memory cells. So there's T killer cells and there's T memory cells. Just There's more T cells, but we'll talk about these two. T killer cells see the invader and kill it. T uh, memory cells recognize an invader from a long time ago and build, kick on antibody production by nudging the B cells. And so I believe I have that correct. Again, I'm not an immunologist, but that's how I have learned it. So we need both. (laughs) We need everything I just listed, but we really need this backup. This is the, once we've gotten past the telecommunication line, we've got that lasting adaptive immune response. Those are T cells and B cells. So fast forward till now, vaccine comes out, everybody says, Oh, antibodies are waning. Antibodies are waning. Antibodies to natural immunity wane quickly. Antibodies to the vaccine are waning relatively quickly. We need boosters. And while we weren't allowed to acknowledge T cells prior as part of our argument of last, a natural lasting immunity, now suddenly that boosters are a thing and Omicron suddenly pops up, I'm seeing articles being published saying, oh, good news. The vaccine and natural uh, immunity both have T cell responses. So don't freak out people because it looks like we're going to have some lasting immune effects. And it's like, oh, we can talk about this now, (laughs) now that it fits the narrative, right? Now that it fits the story they want us to believe at all costs of fear, but we're allowed to believe in T cells now. So I find that ironic. But anyway, guess what happens in adipose cells Adipose cells are like a little depot for your T cells. So once they come out of your bone marrow and their uh, thymus production, the thymus, the thymus is an organ of immune production, immune cell production. It significantly um, deteriorates as we age. It's most active in childhood. Again, it's hit hard in the obese state. So is bone marrow. It gets marbled too. So your your obese patient really has a severely substandard immune response. All right, so T cells, we need them. And in the obese cell where they linger and live, they're like a little depot in there, the fat cells, killer T cells get super crazy. Like if you poured water on a gremlin or fed it after midnight and it turned or gizmo and it turned into a gremlin, that's what happens to the killer T cells in the obese body. They're rogue. They're way out of line. They still kill things, but it becomes much, much messier and not nearly as fine-tuned. That's not good. That means things are missed and things are overblown, which again is what's happening when we're seeing people decompensate hard from COVID. The next thing we're seeing is T memory cells are basically senescent in or quiescent in the obese cell, meaning off or dead. And at least in mice studies, done on mouse, mouses, mices, <laughs> murine studies, Those they didn't follow the mice for very long, but even reversing the obese state, the T memory cells did not turn back on. They were not able to be reignited. I know this to be true as well for stem cells. 
And we have studies showing the same is true for mitochondria. That's a whole other topic we'll, we'll get into someday on this podcast is mitochondrial health, because that's really what's driving everything here. So you can see how damaging to the immune response being in the obese and diabetic state is. It's, it's no good. And I want, again, to remind you, it's a triad of obesity, diabetes type 2, or, or some type of metabolic dysfunction, uh, along with some continuing induction of muscle loss. This is why from day one, I'm like, lift weights, lift weights, lift weights, lift weights. Like lifting weights is literally the fastest way to get out of this. Even with a crummy diet, if somebody were to lift weights regularly, three to four times a week, and they had severe diabetes and obesity, they would see remarkable changes and induction of improvement very quickly. So while I'm mentioning the T memory cells, again, remember that was a mice model. Don't get discouraged. That was a mice study and they only followed them for two weeks. So that's not really a fair assessment. And we haven't seen that. They haven't done those studies in humans. But I'm just sharing with you what could go wrong. And it's probably likely that there is some degree of this in humans. So that significantly damages the immune response on all levels. So not only does the patient not have their bodies recognize the virus, but the virus gets to go berserker and have a total party in the body until viral titers are very high. Those spike proteins, as you've heard me say before, are so damaging to the tissue. So now we've got like actual, they're, they're, they're toxins to the tissue. So we've got actual toxicity damage happening in real time. And then the body decides to wake up and kick in. We've, now we've got the cytokine storm, organ systems are getting melted down. And now the poor person doesn't even have a lasting immune response. On top of that, vaccines don't work great in this population as well. The, you, for exactly what I just listed, they don't seroconvert. You can pump all the vaccine you want into somebody. This is why elderly folks, same thing happens in the elderly. Elderly folks are given a much stronger flu vaccine. I think the obese and elderly, if they're going to get vaccinated for COVID-19, are probably looking at many more shots. But that certainly doesn't mean that a young, healthy person needs three shots. Not everybody needs a booster or two or three or whatever Pfizer decides is most appropriate. But I do think that the if you're, if you're on the pro-vaccine camp, that's fine. But just know that your obese and elderly family, friends, and patients are probably going to need more boosters than your healthy athletic person. That's just how we've been seeing this throughout time. We have studies on influenza vaccines and the obese. They don't seroconvert well, meaning they don't actually have an immunologic response to the vaccine the way that we would like, and they don't build have the antibody response that we would like. It wanes more quickly, and as you have heard me say, their T-cell response is all muckered up. On top of that, the obese human, we know this from influenza studies, and we now have it from COVID as well, the obese and especially the obese elderly actually have more virus particulate in their breath. So they are spreading, they have higher viral titers for what I just explained. They spread more virus because they have higher viral titers. So there's more virus in their breath. They are actually far more infectious than their lean counterparts. We have this in mice and human studies. They carry virus for longer because it's not cleared out of their system readily because their immune system is bonkers. And then with COVID in particular, and we, I don't know about influenza yet, I haven't looked it up, but we have found a recent study just came out on, co on uh, COVID showing that SARS-CoV-2 directly infects fat cells. 
And not only does it infect the fat cell, but it can linger and kind of hide out in there because fat cells are not very vascular. They don't have a great blood supply. So you can get crazy high viral titers in there. It infects the macrophages inside the fat cells. Remember I told you some of the immune system hangs out in the in the fat cell. The macrophages become very pro-inflammatory at that point. And then it infects pre-adipocytes, which also turn rogue and become very inflammatory. So this is probably adding onto that whole inflammatory nightmare that happens for the obese patient in the COVID in the face of a COVID infection, whether they've been vaccinated or not. I'll say this. I have several colleagues uh, around the world that I've made friends with since this pandemic started. These are doctors who are actually intubating patients in the hospital, ICU nurses and doctors all over the world. And all of them have said the same thing. These breakthrough cases we're seeing in the vaccinated are happening predominantly in the same group that you would expect to see severe outcomes in, which is this group of people I'm talking about right now, which is the obese diabetic patient. That's who breakthrough cases are happening in because the vaccine isn't working as well in them. That's not to say, now, anytime I mention something like that, this, somebody says, well, what about my uncle who's thin and was a marathon runner and blah, blah, blah. Lady, I don't know. Medicine isn't black and white. There's not an exact answer for everything. This is all shades of gray. This is called biology. <laughs> there are there are rules we follow and there are known truths and distruths, but that doesn't mean that every body is going to follow every single exact rule, right? That's why we have medicine like naturopathic medicine and functional medicine where we take the individual into consideration, not the condition. I don't care about COVID. I care about the person who has COVID. What is that person presenting like? That's going to be different for every single person. We can't make a recipe out of that. We can create treatment plans. We can create protocols. We can throw the kitchen sink, the same kitchen sink recipe at every single patient. We're going to have some impact. But at the end of the day, what you've got is a person with an infection, a human being, and that person's going to respond differently. So if you're, you know, 45 year old marathon running uncle died of COVID who was rail thin and ate supposedly healthy, good for you. You know, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I say, I'm sorry for your loss, but like good for you for noticing that, oh my gosh, this person doesn't fit the bill. But then we have to consider, and just a side note here, that person, marathon runners tend to be pretty damn inflamed. Vegetarians and vegans are often considered healthy eaters, but they might be missing a lot of nutrients that they need to build their immune system. And so we can't always paint a picture with a broad stroke and say this covers everybody. All right, so we've got immune dysfunction, we've got inflammation, we've got hormonal disruption, we've got sarcopenia, we've got lack of seroconversion or good seroconversion with vaccines, we've got breakthrough cases, and we've got fat cells directly being infected by COVID. And then we've got all these other factors about how we know throughout the history of studying influenza in the obese patient that they carry, they make more viral titers, higher viral titers, they spread more virus and they spread it for longer. There is conversations in the medical literature about the obese person being much more of a super spreader than their lean counterpart. So I'm not, again, I'm not pointing any fingers, but this is something that needs to be addressed and talked about. And if you are a human being who finds yourself in this predicament, it is imperative as a person in society that you take good care of yourself. That's for the greater good. Forcing everybody to get vaccinated with a vaccine that does not stop transmission is leaky and isn't, me being vaccinated is not going to make anybody safer. 
me being healthy and fit and keeping low viral titers and keeping low adipose levels on my body is what's going to help my fellow human beings around me. If I am an obese person and I am carrying around more, even if I'm vaccinated, you can still get infected, right? That's what I, that's what I, this is what's crazy to me about these mandates. They make no sense at all, but I, I won't get into that too much. That's what gets me is the person sitting next to you who's in the obese state, particularly if they're malnourished, meaning they're eating really nutrient poor food. And I understand there are people out there who do everything right and they are still in an obese state. Again, I am not pointing any fingers and I'm not trying to give you all the solutions. I don't have all the solutions. I can't give you a blanket solution response because each person's individual. I run individual labs on every single patient and do an in-depth assessment of them based on where they're at in that moment. What kind of uh, adverse childhood events have they endured? What kind of traumas have they had? What kind of, what's their gut like? What's their hormones like? All of that tell, you know, what's their exercise or lack of, like, what's their orthopedic and pain spots like? That tells me how I'm going to advise them to lose weight. There's not a one size fits all model. It's not calories in, calories out. It's not as simple as that. That's part of it. It's not, oh, just fix your hormones, it'll go away. That's part of it. It's not, oh, just lift weights and it'll all be okay. That's part of it. These are all, you know, what's their sleep like? What are their relationships like? How do they like their job? How much are they working? What's their stress levels like? Do they have kids? You know, what's their age? These are all critical variables in addressing the problem of obesity. What, you know, what socioeconomic background? What are their resources? What are they able to do in a day? What's their time constraints like? These are all things that need to be considered. I'm just trying to give you information on how the obese state will impact an individual. And this isn't going to be true for every single person. And there's going to be people who fly through this who are type 2 diabetic, have tons of obesity, smoke cigarettes, drink beer every day, and they're going to fly through COVID untouched. If you want to know more about why certain people are getting sicker than others, I did an episode on it just recently, and you can go back and listen to that it takes you through some of the other immune aspects that happen with COVID and why some people might be getting hit much, much more severely, even if they don't fit the bill of the, you know, typical COVID um, person who's going to have problems. So I will leave you with that. I think that that's enough. And I, I hope it's not too much information or over anyone's head. Go back and listen to this again, if you need to share it with friends and family. It's really important that people understand this, because as soon as we all start taking individual responsibility for our own health, we're going to get through this faster. But if we don't, we're never going to get through this. That's my opinion. If you like this episode, if you like any of my other past episodes, please do me a huge favor. It would mean the world to me if you would go rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast server. I personally would appreciate if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts and and hit me up there. Rate, review, and subscribe. It helps my ranking. As my ranking goes up, more people get to hear this information. And it's not just about me trying to get my name out necessarily. It's the information needs to get out. And it's not getting out. So you can help by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Also, if you're interested in upcoming episodes or you have any questions, hit us up at podcast at drtina.com. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A. Shoot us an email. Let us know what you'd like to hear about in upcoming episodes. And we will try to find experts to speak on that. Or if it's something that I am familiar with, I will try to cover it as well in future episodes. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. 
This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.